Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. I'm so excited to introduce you to our badass guest today, Lisa Bilyeu. She is the co-founder and president of Impact Theory, a digital media production company focused on empowering content. In addition to co-founding Impact Theory, she co-founded the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition. If you haven't had one of the protein bars, I don't know where you've been living. And she started that nine years ago. And her her career trajectory has been an astonishing arc from housewife to entrepreneur and transforming her business focus from nutrition to entertainment media. And now, jumping in front of the camera, she hosts her own show called Women of Impact that I was so honored to be on. And it centers on all things female empowerment, which is so my jam. I can't wait for you guys to meet this woman. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Wow, what's up, girl? Lovely to be on. So, you know, this is the funny thing. So when people hear you interviewing other people or even in the course of this conversation, I don't think that they would even believe the mindset of where you came from, which is before you started the company. And I I know you've talked about it on TED Talks and other places, but let's before we start talking about this amazing, you know, company you've built and media company, Let's talk about the perspective of your life when you were young and before you got married and the perspective of your very sort of orthodox Greek culture and what was expected of you because people hearing you would be like, oh, she's a badass entrepreneur chick, but they don't realize that you were one sort of relegating yourself to a life of being a housewife and not there's anything wrong with that. But tell us about how you were raised that way. Yeah. Um, so I was brought up in a very traditional Greek family. Um, and even though I had big dreams, like I really wanted to come to America and make it in the movie business, you know, like deep down, part of me was just like, okay, but you know, you are going to get married. You are going to have kids. You are going to take care of your husband. Um, and so I really was kind of somewhat battling between those two, but ultimately my instincts were to absolutely slip into being, um, you know, the housewife role. And like you said, there's nothing nothing wrong with it at all if that's what you really want in life and over the years I realized that wasn't what I wanted but I'd actually got trapped into being that so my husband um he's American so we moved to America and you know we were just gonna it was just gonna be for a year he was gonna go off and make some money so that we can make our own movies my background's filmmaking so you know we had this plan it's just gonna be a year and so I said okay no problem I'll stay at home I'll support you and we looked at all the most successful people um, in the world at the time and we looked at Steve Jobs and we said okay how does Steve Jobs run his life and you looked and he would never you know he always wore like a black top because he never wanted um, to waste an ounce of energy making a decision that didn't matter. And so Tom and I said, okay, well, babe, what if I made all the decisions at home, what you're going to wear, what you eat, I do everything else. You go out, you, you know, make enough money. And then in a year we'll come back together and we'll, you know, make movies. Sounds like a easy plan. Um, and of course life happens and life is never as easy as you plan it to be. And so this great plan where I was just going to be supporting him for a year ended up, um, I was, you know, eight years later still in that same situation where here I was staying at home and being a supportive wife. Um, and, um, over time started to realize that actually wasn't what I wanted in life. And that all happened because I pretty much stumbled into it. Um, Can I ask you about the, on that note, there was a really mm, moment where, 
your grandfather said something to you before the night before your marriage. Yeah. Because I, I again, it, I don't think people would realize that you came from this particular perspective that was sort of built in and not to their fault. That's the way that culture was in the time. But tell us about that. Yeah, thank you. And go, you've done your research. I'm impressed. Um, so yeah, the culture, you know, it's Greek Orthodox, so it's it's rather strict. And my my parents live in, a, uh, sorry, my grandparents grew up in a tiny, tiny village in Cyprus. And so the way they saw it, even you know, in today's society, my grandfather came to London for my wedding, you know, and his his advice when he called me into his bedroom was, you know, you you must obey your husband. And no matter what happens, if I obey him, then I'll be safe. And thinking back and looking at his perspective, you know, I didn't, you know, the the, the feminist in me and, you know, the, the dominant woman is just like, what do you mean? And, you know, no, I'm not going to obey my husband, <laughs> you know, but the truth is, is that he came from a tiny village and all he knew was that the guys were the, um, were the you know, the family member that would go out and bring in the, you know, the, the bread if, in essence. My grandmother never went to school, so she never had an education and she never went to high school um, because the village was so tiny that anyone that wanted an education had to leave the village and so growing up my grandfather just always saw that the guys were who got the education and even they were select few um and so for him he just thought okay for me to actually be safe and for me to to have a roof over my head I need to obey my husband so that my husband can provide food for me and a you know roof over my head so his advice in looking back was in his day very um valuable Right. If I want to have food and I don't want to be homeless, you know, obey my husband. But in today's society, obviously, it just doesn't gel with um, how society is today. But those 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 lessons over time, they really do seep into you. Where even if you think on the surface, they're somewhat crazy. Um, you know, and my grandmother, I don't know if I've actually ever told this story before. But um, my grandmother, when she first met Tom and I took her to took Tom to the village, she turned around to me and in Greek and basically said, look, if he has to hit you because, you know, you're, you're misbehaving, then basically just take it. And, that, and she was dead serious. And she wasn't saying it like, look, you have to be abused. Don't worry. But she was just like, look, look, if, if he has to hit you because you misbehaved, don't worry. You know, that's marriage. Like she actually believed that. I'm really glad you did tell that story because a lot of people do grow up that way. And thankfully, you're not in an abusive relationship and marriage. But, you know, ah, this goes back to, look, even the O.J. Simpson case, what happened was they interviewed one of the jurors years later and they said, well, what did you think, though, when you saw the photos of Nicole where her face was beaten and, you know, she had gone to the police already about this guy? And the woman's response was, well, what did she say to make him mad? Yeah, God, yeah. So if you grow up like that, so I'm glad you didn't accept that and manifest that, <laughs> that scenario. But this is old world thinking. And you know, I grew up in downtown Chicago, which has a huge Greek community. And so I grew up with lots of Orthodox Greek kids. And I don't remember any of their moms being entrepreneurs or even in the workforce. They were that was the deal. That was just the deal. And that's how people were brought up. So it's amazing where you've come from that. And that's why I'm so glad you you shared that story. And as well, did, uh, I heard you talk about where um, you wanted to study film and your dad was like, no, no, no. And then he sort of discounted it, right, by saying something again to this effect of like, well, it doesn't matter anyway, right? You're going to be a housewife. Yeah, he um, 
I, we were arguing back and forth and I wanted to study filmmaking. He said, you know, your heads are in, your heads are in the clouds. You know, you don't know anyone in America. You don't know anyone in Hollywood. And again, like I never look back at my parents being like mean or cruel or trying to bring me down. It's just like, you know, like you were saying at the beginning, perspective is everything. And I think that if you can see things from someone else's perspective and understand where they come, they're coming from, it doesn't mean you have to agree. But at least for me, like I understood where he was coming from. And so even though I didn't agree with it, I always respected him. And I think that that's a big key in respecting, you know, for at least for me, respecting my parents and where they come from and the advice they gave me. It didn't mean that I, I listened, though. And that was a big distinction for me of being able to respect it, but say, OK, I hear you. I respect but that's not where I come from or that's not how I think. Um, but, yeah, I wanted to study film. My dad said, you know, no, 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 you, you know, that's not a right career. You'll never get a job. And then eventually he's like, oh, what difference does it make? In a way, you're going to get married and have kids. So your degrees basically you know pointless and at the time as a kid I was just like great I get to study what I want but in hindsight it really is these little lessons that we learn along the way that we don't necessarily think of that ends up seeping into our subconscious so that when I'm in that position where I'm a housewife you know for three years four years five years like it actually just felt normal enough and that's actually the scary thing what was your turning point I know that you know Tom was like, hey, I want to start this company. And I, I know a little bit that you had sort of gotten into and started to like all of these aspects. What was the turning point where you're like, uh-oh, I don't think I want to do this housewife thing anymore? Yeah. And this is one of those, I don't know what my life would have been like. And like, you know how you look at your life, like those sliding door moments. Um, I don't actually know how much this is a, a true sliding door moment or if I would have discovered it in another way. But um, he came home and he was miserable in his job. His business partners were miserable. And so he came home and he's like, look, we want to all start this protein bar company. You know, we all love fitness. And right now, everyone, all the wives, including myself, we were making these homemade protein bars because there was just nothing nice on the market. And if there was something nice on the market, it was full of sugar. So we were hand making these bars for our husbands to take to work. And he's like, look, it clearly, there's, you know, there clearly is a market for, you know, protein bars and we just have to get it right. So, hey, I'm now on this new venture. I know I told you that it'd be a year. You're eight years in. But if you can just hold strong for another year, like that's what he kept saying. If you could just hold strong for another year. So he's like, if you can just hold strong for another year, we want to start this protein bar company. And um, we're going to need your help because they still had a um, tech company that they were working in. So at the time, I was the only one that wasn't, you know, quote unquote, really working. And I didn't have kids. So they're like, you know, if you don't mind, can you just ship a bar from our living room floor if we get an order? And oh, if you don't mind, do you mind just like measuring the peanut butter on scales at home? So everything was, again, going back from the mentality of I want to be a good housewife. I want to provide and be there for my husband. And that mentality had gotten stronger over the, those years so that when he asked me to help out, I was like, oh, of course, like, of course, I'm going to help my husband. And so that's why I started. And the second factor was he said, if we, if this company doesn't succeed, we lose the house. So we'd put enough money, um, us and his business partners had all put enough money for collateral. And so if we had, if Quest didn't work, we would have lost our house. We would have lost all the money because we wouldn't have been able to afford a mortgage. Um, and so the stakes were big. And that really was the first thing that he was like, so do you mind helping? I was like, no, of course I'm going to help. 
Um, and, you know, the, we didn't expect the company to grow at 57,000%. So when I'm... Yeah, and when you say that, I mean, it went from literally zero to a billion dollars in five years. Yeah. That's so astounding. It is. And in those moments where I was shipping from my living room floor and I was literally walking to the post office, you know, with two or three orders, just excited. Um, as we grew so quickly... I, Everyone kept saying, oh, well, Lisa, you know how to do it. So just keep doing it. And because we couldn't afford to hire anyone and because I had over that time of the eight years of being a stay at home wife, I had developed pride. And I think that this is a key component in the, that transition in those times is I found pride in the small things because I didn't want to be a stay at home wife. In order to get through the days, I would do things that I would then develop um, self-esteem around so that I could have some pride you know, and have a purpose in essence. And so I just took that along with me when I started to ship bars from my living room floor. I was like, okay, I've got pride because I can figure out how to print these orders. And then it was like, we got 10 orders and I figured out how to make friends with the people at the post office so that I could go straight to the front of the line and I would take them candy. And they started calling me candy lady. Um, and so all, the, all these little things, you know, computers, I'm terrible at computers. I figured it out. Um, we had to have our first employee in shipping. I had no idea how to hire. I had no idea how to be a boss. So I had no idea how to do freight shipping. So all of these things I was like Googling and reading books and, you know, listening to Sheryl Sandberg and her details on how to be a leader and literally calling up UPS and asking random customer service what on earth a pallet is and where I buy a pallet from. And um, because I didn't want to lose my house and because I was so hell-bent and making sure that I was a good wife and supporting my husband, I just went all in. And it was the fear that kept me going of losing my house. It was the... Um, the fear of failing my husband that made me keep going when I didn't know something in the past. I definitely was the person that would hide and pretend I knew everything because I had such low self-esteem. I had to like protect it, but I didn't have a chance to actually even think about it. In these moments, it was like, all right, Lisa, well, you can either figure it out or you can lose your house or you can figure it out or, you know, you lose, you know, your car and you lose everything. And so that um, just drive, just pushed me to keep going, keep going until I started to realize, huh, I kind of like this. I kind of like learning and thinking like really badly about myself and then figuring out, oh, wow, I didn't think I could figure this out, but here I am figuring out. And not only am I figuring out, I'm one of the best at it in the company. You know, now the company only had like five of us or something, but it gave me those little wins over and over that made me realize like, maybe I want to do more of this. And then that fear of losing the house turned into a passion of learning and thriving and becoming a person I didn't think I could be. And so that became my driving force. Um, so yeah. Now I can see how that would like these wins, these little wins, you're doing the same thing day in a doubt, you're laying out the clothes, you're doing the wife stuff, right? And it's kind of all the same. And then you have new challenges and new things sparking up that you know, and you're learning and you're, you're conquering over these things. I can see how that just built an incredible platform for self esteem and confidence and for you to be like, hold on a minute, this is this is more exciting too, also because it's varied and new, right versus just the same. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But for you, it was different. At what point were you like, hmm, I kind of want to be involved on this level and keep going? Uh, how did you have this conversation with your husband about it? 
Yeah. So initially when we got married, we were going to have four kids. We were going to wait a couple of years just because I got married quite young. So we were going to wait a couple of years just to really bond and, you know, build a, a, a chemistry between us. Um, so that when we had kids, we wanted the to come into our life versus the other way around. And so we're like, okay, so for a couple of years, we'll, you know, bond. And then we went on this entrepreneurship journey where my husband, you know, was just trying to make enough money. So we kept putting kids off. So we kept saying next year, next year, next year. And then it came to the point where I started to realize I really enjoyed learning and growing a business and being a part of it and, you know, um, becoming something that I didn't think I could become. That was extremely intoxicating for me. And I started to doubt, wow, what would my life look like if I had kids right now? And I was getting asked, uh, you know, the question from the, my mom and things like that more and more. So I started to envision what my everyday would look like. And the question I always like to ask myself, is, what does an average Wednesday look like? Right? We always think on the big scale and the big grand things about what our life's going to be like. But what does an average Wednesday look like if I was to have a kid? And so I broke it down. I was like, wow, I don't want to give up what I do. Like, I've never felt so alive than I feel right now. And for me to want to give it up over a non, you know, an entity I'm not even sure about, I don't know what it's like to have kids. You hear it's supposed to be the biggest blessing of your life, but I, can't, I don't know that for sure. And so here I am in this situation, I'm having these feelings, I'm having these emotions. And then on top of that, I started to feel guilty. Like I was changing the person I promised missed my husband I was going to be. And, you know, once upon a time, I was going to be a wife who was going to look after the kids and we were going to have this family. And now, you know, years later, I'm, I'm changing my tune. And I didn't know if that meant that I was, um, you know, betraying my word, if I was going back on my word, if I was becoming a wife he didn't want anymore. Um, and th those bothered me. And so we sat down. And the one thing we'd always said is we'd always be 100% honest with each other, even when it's hard. And because we had allowed and um, built that ground rule from day one, I was like, okay, I know I have to talk to him about it. And so we sat down and, you know, I was very honest with him and I didn't have an answer, but I was just wanting to explore it. And I wanted to ask him, you know, how do you feel if I, if I don't want kids and you know, how much of that is some is important to you and what does an average Wednesday look for you if we do have kids and what does an average Wednesday look like if we don't have children? Um, and I think coming from it with a really, um, non-emotional standpoint really um, gave us the space to be 100% honest with each other. You know, the fact that I would love to have kids, but the only thing that I want more than having kids is to not have kids, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> Um, and so I said, I, if I, if I want children, I want to be all in, I know my personality and I'm not good at dabbling and I didn't want to dabble. So I said, if I have kids, I'd want to give up my career, but the truth is I love what I do. And so I don't think I want children. And, you know, he was very honest and said that he's never seen me as happy as he's seen me now. And so he's like, babe, I really want to have, you know, I'd love to have children. But nothing means more to me than seeing you happy. And so if that means us not having children, then, you know, we should absolutely explore that. And so we had an open dialogue the whole way and never um, we never shut each other down. And we both had to mourn um, the life we thought we were going to have um, in the sense of, you know, this still a part of me that would love to have little mini Toms. But I don't want it bad enough to give up 
everything else that I do. But I had to mourn that. I had to mourn the dream of potentially having children. And so did he. And he also had to mourn as I was changing my lifestyle. And I didn't want to put clothes out for him anymore. And I didn't want to cook for him anymore. I had to tell him, look, babe, I hope you know, this doesn't mean I don't love you anymore or any less. It's just, it's a different, you know, lifestyle that I want to lead. And so he understood that. And that was very important as well is him knowing I wasn't doing it because I felt differently towards him. It was I felt differently towards myself. And so he respected that. And so we had to go through a transition period where he's like, you know, like always like the drug addict had to wean him off, you know. So I had to, you know, <laughs> like, so, babe, I'm only going to make you one meal today, not two. And I'm only going to put your gym clothes right. out. Work yeah. clothes. And here, meet Sally. She's going to be your new executive yeah, assistant. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but, but we actually spoke about that eventually, you know, and it was like, look, is it important? You know, because he still values um, caretakers. Absolutely. And so I, and I had to respect that. And I was like, okay, well, do you value me being the caretaker or do you value being taken care of? Because that's a big, def- you know, that's a big difference because then if you don't care if I'm cooking or not, as long as I figure out how you eat, you know, whether that's I hire a chef in advance at the time, obviously we couldn't afford it. But having those real transparent discussions, you know, for him, he's like, he doesn't care if I cook or not. He just wants the food to be ready. So it's like, cool, I'll hire a chef. I'll freeze, you know, a month's worth of food for you. And now you've got food ready. And so for him, he was like, great, that totally works. So having the open communication about what you want, having the open communication about what the future looks like and then how you navigate it together. So he didn't even look at me saying, hey, this is your problem because you're changing. He was saying, how do we as a team work on this alteration in our relationship? It's really interesting. I want to tie this now back to a story I heard you tell. So, so you know, cutting back and we'll cut back and forth here a little bit on the time frame. but so you're now doing the company together is successful and you run into a woman at a buffet and you, and she asks you what you do. You tell her you're an entrepreneur, blah, 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 the quest nutrition. And she tells you, she says, well, I'm just a mother. Can you talk about that experience? Because I think that's a nice way to tie in where you came from and how you feel so important about the why yeah, thank you. Um, that story really hit me. And so I'm, I'm standing in a buffet and this was fairly recently. So this is, you know, after the massive success of Quest Nutrition and massive success of Impact Theory. And I love what I do. So if anyone asks me, I'm more than happy to talk about it. And so I'm standing in line at a buffet on vacation and this woman's asking me. And so I start telling her and I was like, oh, so what do you do? Um, and she goes, oh, I'm just a mother. And it was like the way she said it, I was like, why did she use the word just first of all and then she kept saying you know and I homeschool them and so I kind of stopped and I was like whoa 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 whoa. I think she had like three or four kids and I was like you have like three kids and you homeschool them and you're saying that you're just a mother like it it was so um powerful and empowerful to me that she she didn't see the value in what she brought to the table. And I remember thinking back to when I was a housewife and how I didn't feel like I was bringing value. And it really hit me. And I was like, okay, there's a big disconnect here. First of all, for me, at least, I didn't want to be a housewife. So when I say I went from a housewife to, you know, building a billion dollar company, it's not the one 
it's more valuable than another. It is just, I, I had a life I didn't choose. I had a life where I um, went along with it and I spent eight years of my life doing something I was miserable doing. And so that's why I use that analogy. But she literally, when she started talking about her kids and the fact that she homeschools them, she lit up like a Christmas tree. Like she looked so happy. And so I'm like, hang on a minute. There's something wrong here where society has gone from a, for me, I struggled in saying that I didn't want children because I was worried about getting, um, judged upon that. I'm no longer a woman. And if I don't have kids, does that make me less of a nurturer? So I really struggled with that. And now here we are where it's almost like the flip has been done, where now if you choose to stay at home with your children or you stay, you choose to homeschool them, which let me tell you, God, I couldn't imagine how freaking difficult homeschooling is. Let them bring up your child. Um, you literally are bringing up the next generation of humans. Like I couldn't think of a more difficult job. But in society, we have now somehow made it seem like it's less important if you choose to stay at home. And so I just, I just, my personality is I can't keep quiet. So I just called her on it. I was like, oh my God, like, what are you talking about? You're an incredible woman who homeschools her children. Thank you. Thank you for doing that and putting your time and effort and energy into creating these beautiful humans that are once are going to grow up and build our future. Um, and so it just really hit me that we we downplay our roles in society. We downplay what is important. We judge ourselves based on what we see society valuing. Um, and really my message as a whole is just, we've got to stop just judging ourselves. Like no one thing is better than the other. Look at Oprah Winfrey. Just because of what Oprah does, it doesn't mean that she's more impactful on a small scale compared to a mother who's impacting her kids. Like everybody is impacting in their own way. And for us to um, value one more than the other, I think is just, it's, it's becoming just detrimental to our society. Sorry. Yeah, and, and uh, no, and to highlight that in the story with that woman, you know, and what I gathered from it as well, and you made this point, not just now, but I'll reiterate what I heard, which I loved, which is you're like, she loved this. This was clearly her passion and purpose. Yet she probably said, oh, I'm just a mother because she thought that's what you would think of her, because that's what she thinks society thinks. There's something wrong there. And I'm glad that um, you you made that point because it's important. And if you're out there and you're a housewife, you're freaking awesome. But if you hate it and you don't like it, then you may need to look at the why and see if there's something you can change about it. Exactly. Now, you and Tom, uh, so if anyone's, you guys are a really interesting example of a couple who's very transparent and honest and with the public sharing about your relationship. You've had uh, several interviews together. They're very revealing. I, I suggest anyone go online and just type in Tom and Lisa Bilyeu and look at some videos of their interviews talking with each other about their relationship. What I'm really impressed with is while you guys grew up together because you met so young, it seems like from the beginning, he was a pretty, <laughs> I mean, both of you are now, I mean, both, I, I think both of you are incredible human beings, but part of that is because you're, you're seemingly real, no BS people. And it sounds like that's how that relationship started. Where he was like, look, this is what I'm not going to deal with. This is going to put up. We've always got to communicate. And you guys made this deal, you know, um, for transparent communication. And like you've talked about, there's been bumps and there's been things here and there, but, um, it's very fascinating how open you become. How was that at first? You know, because here he's he's interviewing people. You're out there. How was it at first to go? All right. Well, let's just talk about who we are. I mean, that's a little bit of a brave move, you know, to share your relationship stuff with the world. 
the funny thing is, and thank you, I I don't, I guess I don't see it like that. So it, it doesn't feel brave. It just feels like, man, if I can save someone else from having the types of arguments that Tom and I had, um, you know, the wasted times, the wasted hours, the wasted um, special moments, it's like, you know, it's a lesson that I've learned and we fumbled all along the way. And so I never even say it from like, hey, I'm an expert. I'm just like, hey, this is what we've learned. And if it saves you, an argument, if it saves you from a divorce, if it saves you from, you know, um, just anything like I, I'm more than happily share it because it's a lesson that I've had to stumble and, and figure out for myself. And there's a lot of things that growing up, especially on the early days of when Tom and I met. So we've been together now for 19 years. And so there was a lot, thank you. And there was just, just a lot of things that we, that people weren't willing to talk about and that, um, were deemed as inappropriate to talk about or, you know, well, women don't discuss this. And because I believed it, it set me back so many years. And so I'm just like, man, now if I can just tell people what I learned and to, to um, you know, debunk a lot of the myths that are out there, then like if I can save you some years of your life, then my God, that's that's the least I can do. You know, it just feels like it's a duty. You, know, you guys, well, a couple of things I want to make a point about your relationship, which I really love that I see is, well, let's go back to the Greeks. So I have a degree in philosophy. I love ancient Greeks. Some of them are some of some of the best quotes, right? I know you love Socrates, right? The unexamined life is worth living, is not worth living. Um, but Tom expressed it and you both did together, which is this element of having the same values. But I think what I see from the outside is both of you are seekers, you agreed on the communication part, but both of you are seeking to improve. That's part of the communication, right? Like, hey, if something's wrong, we got to talk about it. We got to work through it. We can't just stand with our feet in the sand, you know? And it's so important because it's very reflective in how you guys speak. I mean, meaning so young, my gosh, I mean, my 20 year old self, I can't even imagine, right? <laughs> I'm sure you guys laugh sometimes about the way you operated back then in certain arenas. So the fact that you've been able to grow together and stay together is very important. But you, you both seemingly individually had this, like, you're both were seekers and loved knowledge and learning, you know, even though you might have relegated yourself to be a housewife, you're interested in film and interested, you, you know what I mean? And I think that that is such a valuable thing that it's important to have in common, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's really the key is that you both have to be on the same page about what your goal is. You know, and I heard someone fairly recently say this, and it really hit me, and it's really so true, is that in a relationship, you if the chances are you want to work at a relationship so it can be successful. So all you have to ask yourself is, is this the relationship I'm going to work on? And if it is, then agree to it as a couple, that you're going, that what that goal is, right? So once you've agreed, we want to have a happy marriage. All right, what does a happy marriage look to us? Do we agree on what that looks like? If it's yes, then every argument, every debate, every misunderstanding, every problem you have, you can take it on together, like you're playing as a team to get to that end result together. And I think a big part of it is people are so, um, 
uh, they get defensive, right? It's like, I didn't say that. I didn't hurt you. It's not my fault. And so instead of seeing really the bigger picture of, okay, we want this relationship to work. Do we agree? Yes. We want to be completely and utterly in love. Do we agree? Yes. We recognize that this is a problem in our relationship. Do we agree? Yes. Okay. So if we can agree, this is a problem in our relationship, then both of you are bought into finding the solution. Once you're both bought in to finding the solution, then you can discuss how you get to it. And if both of you can always be open to the fact that the most of the time, 99.9999999% of the time, it's both of your faults, right? It's both of you. And so if you can go, okay, where, what's my part that I'm playing in this problem? And if you know, I really do want to get to the result, it brings your barriers down and go, okay, I know that I'm partially at fault here. So how can I improve and where am I at fault? Instead of saying, no, it's not my fault, it's yours. And once we opened that up, where we're like, all right, it's probably my fault and it's probably your fault as well. What am I doing wrong? What are you doing wrong? And how collectively can we do this together so that we can get to the end result? So let's say someone's super, super fiery and the other person's an introvert. You just acknowledge the personalities at the beginning and say, okay, because I'm an introvert, I don't want to talk about it. But because you're, you know, very fiery person, all you do is want to stand there and scream and shout. All right. We know this about each other. Put these together and it doesn't work. We both know that. All right. So when you're fiery, what if you took 10 minutes and you went and took a breather? In those 10 minutes, I'm going to then take the time to think about my thoughts. And when we come together after 10 minutes, I'm going to be able to be able to vocalize more because I've had the time and you're going to be able to calm down. And now we've agreed on the strategy we're going to do in order to overcome this problem. And I like that. That's crazy. going right to the back end of the solving of it. Yeah. Because otherwise the solving of it just becomes back and forth, back and forth. You're like, no, no, let's establish some ground rules for the game of discussion. <laughs> and the chances are what you're arguing about is never actually what you're arguing about. Yeah. Right? So if you argue about the dishes, it's never about the dishes. It's usually, it's probably about, I feel like this is important to me. You come in, you don't do the dishes. And so now I feel like you're dismissing me. And because I maybe feel dismissed in other areas of my life, now you're triggering me, right? So it's like you dissect what really is the problem because to the core, it usually is something much deeper that one or both of you are going through than that actual surface argument. Um, yeah, a couple things I want to uh, just, and then I, I do want to move on to some more stuff. I want to get into like money mindset and your company and some other and some other stuff, your health journey as well. But uh, I love that you guys talked about the following. And you know, for those of you out there, people aren't mind readers. And you and Tom talk about a time when you guys like were really poor, and you know, you were expecting and kind of hinting at something you wanted for a gift, and he totally misgaged it and gave you something else. And it was like an embarrassing thing. And this happens with people all the time. Somewhat I so many couples have fights and holidays and special moments are ruined because one person is expecting that the other person is going to acknowledge that holiday, whether it's through a gift or an event or an experience, and the other person has no idea what they want. And so I love the, the fact that um, you guys encourage this and I, I'm encouraging it now, which is you have to tell people what you want. And you guys talked about this. I actually suggested to a friend, I said, you need to take your husband's phone and you need to program. <laughs> you even said that too. <laughs> you know, program an alert about 10 days before my birthday, buy so-and-so a gift. Her birthday's coming out. You know, it, because 
help set people up for success. And this, I, this has happened to me. I know my birthdays and certain things have been ruined in relationships before because I, you know, and then you're like, are they going to do it right? Are they going to do it right? And then of course they fail. And then you're like, see, I knew it. And it becomes a whole thing that it never had to become. Hey, you just said, hey, let's have a talk about birthdays and holidays and how you like to be acknowledged and what you expect. Because there are people that love receiving jewelry and purses and things like that. I'm not one of those people. So if a guy kept buying me jewelry and gifts like that, I would be like, uh, that's not what I want. Do you know what I mean? And so you have to tell people what you want, whether that's sex or whether that's birthday, uh, you know, birthdays and holidays. What's another area like that, if you can think of one that you've had in your marriage where it's just like, hey, people, talk about it now before it gets out of hand? Yeah, I know a lot of people do talk about love languages, um, but we always just instinctually give the gift that we want. Right. And so it's like, I, you know, if some, I'm actually a um, word. Well, the funny thing is I'm, my love language is different depending on who it is. So with my husband, it's actually different than with my friends and family. But um, I'm always saying like, be so upfront and honest, because like you said, set your partner up for success. So whether it's a birthday or whether it's how much sex you want or whether it's um, how you want to be appreciated. If you don't have the discussion, then the person will never know. And if you really do, if you're in a relationship, you really do love them and you want to see them succeed, then help them set them up for success. Now, I think looking back, I used to always be like, well, if he loves me, he'll know. Right. <laughs> right. And the truth is, no, like he's not a mind reader no matter how much he loves me. And then B, I think it really does then come to, wow, I need to take a look internally because I'm reading surprise as a way of showing love and affection. And then mm -hmm. if he gets it wrong, I'm interpreting it to mean that he wasn't paying attention to me, which then interpretation means he doesn't care about me. Now, that's not true and it's not fair to be putting people in those situations where they get tested. Right. It's like you, you, right. you want to know if someone um, really cares for you, set them up for success and see if they then come through. So and then also one other thing I would add is know who they are, because if so, my husband, perfect example, he's very busy and he's very forgetful. Now, just as which is why he does need a caretaker and executive assistant. Right, <laughs> it's right. just who he is. Yeah. Exactly. So if I know just service. The man's very forgetful and he's very busy. Okay. If I know that, why on earth am I going to expect him to remember something if I know he's forgetful? Now, if I'm tying his love to me, to something I already know about him, he's not very good at, I'm not setting him up for success. And so I say, okay, well, what's important to me? It's not important necessarily that he remembers because I already know he's forgetful. So that just sets him up for, for failure from the get-go. But it's important for me for him to um, make a reservation somewhere or book something. Okay, for whatever reason, it's important. But I know he's going to forget. So what I did is I grabbed his phone and I set an alarm in his phone saying, book a restaurant for date night with Lisa at 7 p.m. on Tuesday at this restaurant. Now, if he chooses to ignore the, the message, then it means he didn't prioritize it. And that obviously says something. And I'm very clear with him about that. But now I'm not testing his memory, which I know he's going to fail at. But if he ignores the alarm, and he's like, yeah, I was just too busy, then I, that's where I say, hey, hang on a minute, you prioritized, it wasn't that you didn't see it, it wasn't that you didn't remember it, is that you chose to ignore it and prioritize me 
which I have said is important to book this dinner, you've put me lower on your priority list. This speaks loudly. We need to address it. And then I would address that. That is such a great example. And again, really exemplary of your communication with each other. And I think that's such a model for what people should shoot for. Let's stop setting people up for failure. Um, yeah, and and testing them. But it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a covert secret agreement test that only you know about. <laughs> like it's not a ri- most people take a test like they know what the test is you know they may not know the information but they at least have it in front of them they know what's happening right. so it's it's very passive aggressive um okay so i mean my gosh all of your shows now impact theory health theory women of impact have surpassed 300 million views um it's amazing you and tom using your money to fund knowledge in helping others really in things that you seek out, right? Things that you're seeking out in your relationships and through health and all of that. What I'd like to ask you is this, you guys didn't have a lot of money at one point. And while you worked towards it, what was your money mindset then together? I mean, I know it was initially he was going to go make the money and you stay at home, but what we, because you, obviously it exploded. You're extremely, now you, you, you can pay for anything, but what was that like? And what had you might have gone? Did you have to change a money mindset? Or were you always from the beginning like, nope, we're headed towards wealth. That's what we're doing. This is how much we want to make. Or did you have like a cap and then you surpassed that cap and you were like, wow, we amazed ourselves. We thought we were going to make like half a million a year. And now look at this. Like, where was your mindset at? Yeah, I wish it was that clear and that succinct. <laughs> um I get, so growing up, because my dad was brought up in a tiny, tiny village in the mountains of Cyprus, every summer we would go to the village. So I was brought up in London, right? Metropolitan, anything at your disposal, McDonald's, all of that good stuff. And then every summer I would go to the village. There's no running water. Um, we would have like almond trees and olive trees, like just wild in the village. And so if you wanted like some almonds, you would get a stick and you'd hit the tree and the almonds would fall and you'd crack them open, you'd eat it. So I really got to see um, both sides of the coin. Um, I got to have a, you know, roof over my head. I didn't have to worry about food on the table growing up, but I saw where my dad came from. And so um, money for me growing up was very like, you never know if you're going to have it or not. And it wasn't this scarcity mindset out of the fear, but it was more just like, wow, okay, there's so much more than to life than just money. Cause I would see these people in the village and they look so freaking happy, you know? So it wasn't like I saw money equated to happiness. Um, and so money for me was more like a, um, a tool to get what you wanted versus like the end game. And so when I met Tom, my dad had gone from Cyprus, the village to really working his way up the ladder in an oil company and he ended up running it. And so, um, he was finally financially stable. So Tom comes along, he asks my dad, Hey, I want to marry your daughter. And at the time Tom didn't have a job. And so my dad's like, hang on a minute. I spent all my life trying to build a life that I can protect my family, put a roof over their head, feed them. And here you are, punk American guy. I mean, he wasn't like that. He was actually very polite, but he's like, here you are American guy trying to take my daughter away from me. And you don't have a penny to your name. How on earth are you going to support her? And he actually said that he said, no, like he, he turned right. on he's down. like, no, he's like, you no. do not get my permission. <laughs> yeah. So Tom was like, you know, well, thank you. I'm still going to ask her, but I respect you and thank you. Um, but you know, what you see now is this unemployed, you know, young guy, but I promise you one day I will support her. And so even the way they were talking was very traditional. You 
you know, Tom's like, I'm going to support her. Don't worry. Um, but then we left and we came to America and, you know, I started to collect coupons and we saved up. We had the 700 square foot apartment. Um, and you know, we just, we had a vision of what our life was going to be like. And we would, you know, as we started to start build quest, it was just so hard and because we had then taken steps back, we'd finally got enough money to buy a house. But when we started Quest, we really did take steps back. So I had to then stop, you know, things that on the surface really seemed pathetic, right? Like, oh, I had to stop going to Starbucks. But the truth is, it's more than just the the, the stopping going to Starbucks. It was that my friends would ask me to go out. And I would say no for because I couldn't afford it, right? That that was hard. That was when I had to say no because I'm in a warehouse measuring ingredients on a Sunday while my friends are out having fun, you know. And so I had to emotionally get over that sort of thing. Um, but the money itself never was a problem for me. It really was the emotion behind the money. Um, and then when we started to, you know, get um, – financially successful, it then just became another way of going, okay, well, how do I use this as a tool to further my mission, to further what we want to do in life? Um, I think um, money is an amazing facilitator. I don't think enough women um, are open about talking about wealth creation, how beautiful wealth creation can be. Um, And I see money like um, a superpower. You can use it for good or you can use it for bad. It all depends on the person who has it. So, um, have you seen a drawback from not, not an overall drawback because I, I think you would be like, yeah, I'd rather have this life than the Cypress life. Okay. But mm-hmm. has there been moments where you had to kind of smack yourself because of a moment where in all of this wealth, you were thinking a different way and had to go, hold on a minute. Am I letting money do this? Am I, you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm getting at? Was there anything that kind of like tweaked? You had to tweak with there? Um, not really directly with that. Um, but really with my health. So I, um, you know, built, obviously building quest. Um, I, I mean, I gave up everything, my social life. Um, I would, I didn't go home to visit my family. We worked on Sundays. We worked on Saturdays. My husband was getting up at the middle of the night to go to the facility when there was a problem with production. I mean, like we gave up everything to build that company. And, um, I always thought, well, if you, you know, if, if you really want, your dream to come true, you're going to have to grit and you have to kind of grind and forget about health. And, you know, my perception of health was terrible and I was, you know, just working crazy hours. And so at the height of our success, excuse me, at the height of our success, um, we bought the house, like we would drive around Beverly Hills as we're building quest, like when it was really hard and, you know, no money was, you know, we put every penny back into the company and we just needed more motivation because our friends were basically, everyone was like, what are you doing? You're crazy. So we would drive around Beverly Hills in our little ghetto car and we would dream and we would point at the houses and go, oh my God, one day, one day. And so that one day actually came and we actually bought a house in the streets that we would drive around. Like that was so surreal. And I had a vision of the celebration and I was going to be, we're going to be in the yard. I'm going to pop a bottle of champagne. I'm going to stand by the waterfall. I'm going to do one of those scenes like in a hip hop, you know, music video. And I'm going to pour champagne down me. And this is going to be the dream come true, <laughs> you know, because you think it's going to be wealth. You think that getting your dream house is going to be the pinnacle and oh my happiness. God, like, yes. Yeah, you really do. And so it's as cool as you think, oh my God, being able to come to this house and, you know, buy it. And we were so excited and, I thought my dreams come true and we're in the yard and I'm pouring champagne and I'm drinking it. 
And then within 10 minutes, it literally felt like my gut erupted. In 30 minutes, I could barely stand up. And that was four years ago. And I'm still battling with gut health, um, where I couldn't eat for almost a year, pretty much. My hair was falling out. I'd lost so much weight. I was malnutrition. And this was at the height of Quest Nutrition. And so when I look at finance, money, that was the moment that made me realize money isn't the end game. Yeah. Happiness, purpose, and your mission is, and feeling good about yourself. And here I was, I couldn't stand up. I, you know, was no, for a year, I um, could barely eat out. I mean, I could barely eat anything. So like, I didn't feel sexy for my husband. I wasn't in the mood to dress up. There was no date nights. Date nights pretty much consisted of me lying in bed because my, my stomach hurt so much. Um, and so in those moments, it really like it, it hits you. I'd gone to all the best doctors, what I thought were the best doctors in Beverly Hills. You know, they hear, Oh, this person treated this famous person. And so I was pouring money into trying to get help and nothing helped people giving me antibiotics for SIBO. Um, I mean, it was just a nightmare and it made me realize that no amount of money can ever, ever give you happiness. Never. Yeah. At the, my despair, at the height of my most financial biggest success. Right. That, that celebration was was just dampened by what was going on in your gut in the background. That's just like it's it's perfectly said, and I'm just glad. It, I mean, not happy you had that experience. I know when you have gut problems, but again, it's it's important for people to know that, right? It's important for people to see that because we wish for all of that too, and we forget the gratitude we might currently have. If you're not laid up all day with stomach issues, when's the last time you were grateful for your gut health? Now, you're. I, I mean, I saw you recently. You look amazing. Um, I know you're still struggling with some things. And I'm sure you, I know you guys, you threw money at everything. You need a million things. You could do everything you could solve this. But over the years, what were some like major ones on the way of like, okay, well, it's getting a little bit better. It's not totally fixed. Okay, well, we're at a little new level. You know, what were some things that were major for you, whether it was diet or something else that helped you in the process, even though you may not, may not be at the end yet, but you're on your way there? Yeah. Um, knowledge is power. So for me, when I first started, everyone's like, oh, you need to eat sauerkraut. You know, you need to eat this. You need to eat that. And the truth was all of that was making it worse. And it wasn't until I started to understand my gut. It wasn't until I started to understand what was going on with me getting taking control because all the typical doctors, they weren't putting things together. So I was going to one doctor. I haven't had a period in like eight years um, and I've got microbiome issues and I am, you know, um, my hormones feel out of whack. Well, no one was looking at all three of them. Someone was looking at my gut. Someone else was looking at my hormones. Someone else, you know, was looking at something else. And I was like, guys, th th this, surely this is linked. And all does, oh, no, no, no. Like, for instance, I said, oh, hey, I haven't got a period. Does that, shouldn't that make a difference? Like, my hormones are out of whack. And I hear that hormones in your gut bar you know, microbiome might be connected. And doctors were looking at me like I was crazy. And they're like, you don't know what you're talking about. And so I just started to take ownership. And I started to look into and read everything I possibly could read and start to listen to my own body. So I started to realize I did a microbiome test. And this was, you know, back in the day where they were just starting to come out. 
And it turns out I had like something like 10 times more fermentation in my gut than an average person. So here I am, people are telling me to eat sauerkraut and all it was doing was making it worse because I already had so much fermentation in my gut already. Um, and so really it is figuring out, reading up about things, listening to your body, taking ownership. So even with me, when I look back at how I got myself in this situation in the first place, so it started about four years ago. About 15 years before that, I was taking antibiotics a lot. So every year leading up to that moment, four years ago, I was getting chest infections. The doctors were giving me a lot of antibiotics. And so that was partly the prediction of why I ended up having leaky gut, SIBO, and all these issues. And everyone kept saying, oh, my God, I can't believe those doctors. Those doctors, you know, gave you antibiotics. How could they? And I just stopped everyone and realized this is all my fault. And I say that to empower myself. I actually don't say that to knock myself down because if it's my fault, then I can change it. But the reason why I say it's my fault is the doctors kept saying, Hey, I don't know if I should give you this much antibiotics. Did I ever stop and say, why did I ever research? Did I ever look at, um, you know, studies done on, on too many antibiotics? Did the doctor force feed me the, the pills? No, I took them myself. So I've taken full ownership over my health. I've taken full ownership over what has gone wrong. I am always on a path of knowledge to learn. And I think the microbiome is just something that we're only just skimming the surface over. So I think that just the understanding that we're going to have as more technologies go are going to be more and more fascinating. And that was where Health Theory, which the show, one of the shows you were on, that was how that came about. So Tom and I, we had the success of the company. We had the financial success of Quest. We then had Impact Theory. And we're reading all these books about health. And so we're like, okay, but we just have so much more follow-up questions. We've got all these books, all this knowledge, but like, how do we then apply it, right? Because there's so much information out there. How do you apply it? How do you test it? And so Tom and I were like kind of kicking it back and forth. We're like, well, hang on a minute. We've got a set. We've got a studio. Our background is nutrition. What if we reached out to some of these people on the in the books, these authors, and it's like our Trojan horse. Invite them on the show, like give them a platform. And then selfishly, we just ask them questions about me, <laughs> you know, like my gut health or, you know, things that could potentially help me in the future. And, you know, it's a give, give. The person who comes on the show gets a platform. and Hey, we get to learn. And so that's exactly what we did. We, we started this show and we called it Health Theory because we think that like, as I'm sure you know, right, just when you think you figure something out in a year, another study comes out, it's always an evolution. And so we started the show and that's another thing that we have now still do. Um, and we just, we just take full ownership of, um, of my health and what's happened. Well, and that can never be said enough on this show, which is, I don't care if someone has a degree from Harvard and Yale and <laughs> it doesn't matter if you are hoping some MD is going to save you, you are probably going to get your ass handed to you and you have to learn it anyway. You might even be able to help them help you better. You might even be more knowledgeable than them. You know, unfortunately, it's my story, right? So um, such a great message. And also too, you can throw as much money at something as well, but that didn't prevent the fact that you still needed to learn it. Yeah. Right? I mean, you had all the money in the world to go to all the experts and yet, damn it, you needed to learn it for you. Yeah, I would have loved to have 
happily have paid someone to give me a pill that would have solved it, right? Like that would have been the dream. But the truth is, is that I actually got myself into it, started to understand the more psychology behind it, right? The mind gut connection, as you know, and now we're talking a lot more about, but when this first started, none of that really was being spoken about and starting to realize that I was doing it to myself with my lifestyle and that, you know, I used to, I was the person that was like, oh my God, meditation's woo woo, you know, and all this stuff is so woo woo and stopping and eating food slowly and having peace with your food is no, that's total rubbish. And well, look, I mean, like I'm a, I'm completely converted now. And I think that stress plays a massive part in it. And so I actually, the fact that I've been proved wrong so many times now allows me to go, Oh, Lisa, you're probably doing things wrong. That's great. Now, I think <laughs> right. Like just framing it from a, like, man, the more knowledge I have, the more I can improve, the better I can be as a human. And I finally got over the emotion that um, I had had in my head about the tie between, I need to be the epitome of health because of quest like i was so shameful at first i didn't tell anyone for a year i was gonna ask you about that there's shame and embarrassment in that because here you are running a health company like you know astouting these views touting these views and then here you are suffering the background this happens to a lot of people so you know i'm sure it's a common thing um yeah that must have been rough the shame i didn't expect that and that's one thing is i hear a lot now about people saying that you know they have shame in their health and i get it right i i didn't tell anyone for a year i didn't even tell my employees um because i thought that i had to be healthy and i remember this one time where we just released a new protein bar flavor and i couldn't eat it because it had whey protein i just couldn't eat anything processed at all and um and so everyone's going, oh, my God, this bar's amazing. And I posted on my Instagram. Now, this is years ago, but I posted, oh, my God, this is bar's amazing. And I hadn't even tried it. And that was because I was so shameful and so embarrassed of how could I, you know, I didn't want to bring down Tom. I didn't want to bring down his business partners. And so who, you know, how can I say anything? Um, and now it's like the complete opposite. The shame, I'm sure, is something that actually helped me back from healing. Well, yeah. And then you guys really took the reins. And I mean, look what you've done for millions of people across the globe is to take that seeking of that knowledge with health and also mindset and put it out there. Thank you. Yeah, that's definitely my goal. And you know, you said earlier, like, I I actually don't joke. It's like, if you can see I think it's Tony Robbins that says, how can you turn the worst situation into the best situation? And for me, it's like, look, I'm still suffering from my gut. I flew the other day and I got back and I was, you know, for three days, I could barely eat anything. Um, you know, so I'm still suffering. I'm, I'm still not perfect. But, you know, when I hear how many people saying, thank you for talking about this, because, you know, I, and really for me, it's the emotion. Like, yes, the pain is very tough. And, um, you know, traveling is very tough and eating out is very tough. But beyond all, well, that it is the emotion behind it. It's the fact that I didn't feel sexy with my husband. You know, if I'm going to be honest, the last thing we yeah, you probably feel gross. You're like, oh, yeah. I'm sick. Yeah, yeah. When your stomach hurts, the last thing you want is that. And you know, but over time, I'm very conscious of the fact that this isn't just happening to me. It's happening to me and my husband. And so having to sit down with him and talk to him emotionally about how I feel and how he feels about it all, and then not being able to show up for my friends because I'm too weak, right? Um, And then feeling like, oh my God, am I using this as an excuse? You know, can I suck it up and go? And am I just being weak? And so the emotion, the mind, the the negative talk that goes on constantly um, is just, was really something that I had to work on. That's the thing that I like talking about the most. 
because you know there's one thing I get asked you know oh what do you eat and what supplements do you take like all of that is great and it will definitely help get you better but let me tell you like if you can't get your mind in the right place if you can't the moments that you fall to your knees like I literally did last week where I go cool you know what Lisa you're being tested again no big deal you've got this like that's the mindset I had to get to but I wasn't like that at first. I was, why me? This totally sucks. I can't believe it. How did it happen to me? I, you know, the self-pity talk. Um, and that I just had to like work on the most and was the hardest. Yeah, no, I'm really glad you pointed that out. The emotional aspects of this, especially, um, so, you know, when I was hypothyroid and sick and exhausted all the time, it, it doesn't matter what the issue is, you become a party pooper, you bail on stuff, okay, you don't become the fun, awesome friend, okay, like, you're just really not fun to be in that environment. And that really messes also with how you feel about yourself because of these things. So it's a, I, I like that that's one of your favorite things to talk about, and it should be and it needs to be, you know, more open up and it, the, the people have got to share it too, because I know everyone going through health, it's embarrassing, you feel shame. And not only that, but you just you're not having fun and you're you're not feeling like you're participating in your tribe, like the way you would want to. And, you know, then there's the fear of what people might think of it um, on the other side of it too. But uh, it's so wonderful that you and Tom both, but particularly you with this health issue is so uh, honest and transparent about it. Um, I think that authenticity, as you know, is just, it reigns supreme and people can relate to it because they're going through it too. And they want to know that someone like you with all the success and all the money in the world and all this stuff, you know what? Hey, there's still struggles. You got laid out on the floor probably for three days. You know, that's real. And um, not like we're here to feel sorry for your first class problems, but these are all first class problems, really. But at the end of the day, um, it is it, it there, there are people out there that also might feel bad to even have a thing like that because they have so many things to be grateful for. So why should I complain? You know, there's that element, too. Yeah. No. And I, I, I do battle with that as well, because look, the truth is health problems are health problems, right? No matter where you live, who you are, how yeah. old you are, what race, gender, nationality, none of that matters. When you're in pain and you get literally cannot stand up, you don't feel good about yourself. Like that's just real. And, um, you know, so no matter who is listening, it's like, don't minimize your problems, you know, compared to other people. If you're suffering from health issues, you know, that that's real, that does seep into every, you know, from experience seeps into every ounce of who you are, you know, and that's another thing is that I don't want to get so caught up, you know, it's been so long now, I don't ever want to just see myself as being a sick person and identifying with someone with gut issues, because I don't want to stay there either. Right? I want to come get through this. And it's, it's somewhat um, dangerous when, um, you know, you keep telling yourself, oh, well, I'm sick. Oh, well, I'm sick. Oh, well, I'm sick. And I was very aware of that a couple of years ago, you know, where I just that's how I would just see myself like, oh, well, you're sick. And I was like, wow, that's so freaking dangerous. It's like, I know I'm a healthy person that happens to be sick right now, right? You know, the mindset can just be so problematic. No, that's great. And in closing up, but I, I, I wanted to still ask about this. I mean, so all the shows are great. We'll put everything to connect with you, uh, not only listening to Women of Impact as a podcast, but also watching it on YouTube. Um, I love that 
you tell the story, they're like back to the original <laughs> script on you being a little girl and like scraping your knee and a grandmother or someone said to you like, oh, don't worry, everything will be all right when you get married or something like that. And then now, and now you're like, uh, women's empowerment, bitches, <laughs> which I love. I mean, not only just, you know, what you've done with the company uh, you and Tom have done, but also what you're doing with women in, in, impact. This is really important, particularly in what's happened in the past couple of years. And, uh, you know, it's like, whoa, did everyone take a step backwards or we had to dip into a step backwards on some topics out there in the ether. So um, what does this mean to you to be able to do this? Because you are such a strong, awesome, badass alpha female, but also a heart and clearly have that nurturing quality about you that was meant to be a housewife as well. And um, and also just uh, people have to go to go to Lisa's Instagram. She's also a sick graphic like gra- artist in general just a drawer like I was at your house and I was like oh my god where did you get that and you're like I drew it and I was like I had no idea amazing talented what what you and Tom are doing and we'll maybe talk mm-hmm. about what you guys are up to now at the end but let's talk about women of impact yeah thank you I mean it really does come back to to where I was brought up and how I'm just such a different human than the lessons of that I was taught from as a kid and um you know, I really struggled. I struggled with, I was teased, um, and bullied, bullied verbally. I thankfully was never, you know, um, abused, but I was definitely made fun of as a kid and had very low self-esteem and, you know, wasn't sure what I would amount to. And, um, there was a lot of things that I struggled with, um, with being a Greek girl and, you know, not wanting to, you know, have children and marrying an American. I was the first person in my entire family to marry out of culture, Um, so all these things that I've just had to deal with growing up, I thought I was alone, like, you know, and to, and I'm, I know everyone feels like that. Right. So at the age of, you know, 21, when I met Tom and people were like, what are you doing? You're crazy. You don't know anything about him. Your cultures are completely different. He's not Greek Orthodox. You know, you guys will never last. Um, if I was even remotely a tiny bit weaker than I was, you know, just, um, stubborn, then would I have married him? Like, would I have believed what people were telling me? Um, if I was, you know, if I didn't have a husband that was so incredibly communicative and supportive, um, and I was, you know, eight years into my marriage, would I have just had kids? You know, like, and I really think about this and I think about all those little decisions that I made that were going against the norm. And I just thought, you know, like the more that I can talk about it to let people know, A, you're not alone. And then B, like, no, if you decide to not have children, that doesn't make you any less nurturing. That doesn't make you any less of a woman. And these were the things that I didn't hear a voice in that space ever saying, And I battled with it so much by myself that I just can't help but talk about it out loud in the hopes that there's one, one little Lisa out there that is going through that same thing. And here's the message that I wasn't able to hear and be like, wow, okay, it's possible. And that really is such a driving force that when I started to do Women of Impact, it was bringing on just incredible women from all different walks of life to talk about their story from any which way. And it is a total. I have guests on where I have them say things that sometimes I disagree with, but I'm open to hearing it. And I'm non-judgmental. And I think that if we can create a world and a space where we don't judge each other, right, even if we disagree, then I just think we can empower each other to live the lives we really want instead of 
getting trapped. Like the other, like a month ago, for the first time, I asked my mum. I was like, Mum, did you ever actually want to work when you had kids? And she said yes. And I was like, Well, why didn't you? She's like, Well, it wasn't a choice. She's like, it was, you work, the second you have kids, you stay at home. Now, I've never even asked my mum that before, ever. So so just opening up that space where we can start to talk about these things and not judge each other on the decisions we make. And I have literally sat in a room with, and I'm actually not religious, even though I was brought up um, Greek Orthodox, some of my closest friends are super religious. And we get along like a house on fire because we don't judge each other for each other's beliefs. And you're and not trying to change each other either. Not at all. But to be honest, I want to be changed. If I, if I can just say that out loud, like I su- I always want to change and be open to being changed. And that's another thing is that if I don't open myself up, if I don't bring people into my circle that are different from me, I cannot be open to being changed. Just like with my health, if I thought that I knew everything at Quest when it was at its height, then I wouldn't be able to help myself recover. So I had to change. I had to open myself up to other things I don't agree with in the opportunity, in the possibility that I can have a different mindset. And in that mindset, I can then change my life and my lifestyle. So really, that is like why I do the show. I want to be open to change. I want to be open to other people and to knowledge and to be building a platform where it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. I did a whole episode on, you know, um, on sexuality and I had to transgender person on the show because to me, it's like, we are all the freaking same. We just need to open ourselves up to understanding each other. Sorry, I, I could go on forever about no, this. No, I know. I, I listen, I'm like, damn it. Why isn't my show two hours? <laughs> so I want to ask you so many more questions. Um, Ah, Women of Impact, it's great. All the work that you and Tom do. Briefly, what's in the pipeline for you next? What other projects and things are you working on that you can tell us about that you're excited about other than what you already do, which is a lot and amazing? Thank you. So yeah, all the content we do right now is nonfiction. It is um, aimed at adults. It is the show that you have been on, Women of Impact, Health Theory, all of our content like that. Um, but, um, really the biggest passion for both me and Tom is really helping, um, kids and the younger generation, because ultimately that is the age of imprinting. So as much as we try and change ourselves as we're adults, it is difficult, right? We've, we're just so wired as adults. So to unwire things, to change habits is a, is an uphill battle and doesn't mean that we're not willing to do it, but it is an uphill battle. So if you really want to make change on a global scale, how do you do that? you impact the kids and so for us we're really developing um intellectual property fiction fictional content going back to my roots of filmmaking and creating content for young kids and my first personal project we already have two graphic novels um one that we did with steve aoki and is all based on empowerment so if you think of disney as being the most magical place on earth um impact theory is going to be the most empowering place on earth so whether you find us as an adult from our talks you know podcast shows things like that or whether you find our graphic novels tvs and movies you'll think of us as being the most empowering um company on earth and that's really what we're building and i am putting together my first graphic novel for young girls which i is i am like beyond excited i received the designs of the first character today um the writer i have is just an incredible woman who used to work at disney um and so really building an elite team to impact the younger kids of the 
generation or you know the younger generation um with uh, uh yeah super empowering content because you know as a kid who doesn't like tvs and movies and you know wonder woman and things like that so i think to really create impact you have to entertain first and then have an underlying theme of empowerment i love it paying it forward in the ultimate most global way you can really incredible what you guys are doing with your success and and also just helping so many people out there. So everybody get on YouTube or online and look up Lisa Bilyeu, Women of Impact. And we, of course, will put everything in the show notes to connect with you guys. Uh, What would you like to leave our audience with? Oh, yeah. Well, to be honest, if they haven't seen your episode on Women of Impact, shameless plug, girl, but you're- Nice. Thank you. (laughs) You're you're a freaking fire. So yeah, that episode um, definitely resonated with me. Go check that out. Um, And really to just anyone listening that, you know, my, my best phrase, and I know it's been used a lot, but the one that I love is, you know, if you believe you can, you can, if you believe you can't, you can't. And so no matter what you're about to try, whether it's you want to get healthy, um, you know, you want to create a business, you want to just be happy in your relationship. Like you just have to start with believing you can, like it all starts there. That's funny you said that because my best friend from high school gave me a necklace with that Henry Ford quote uh, inscribed on it. Yeah. Because that's one of my favorite too, right? Or or the other interpretation is like, right, um, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right either way. Exactly. and yeah, no, I love that one. It's so, so wonderful. And also too, you know, I know that perseverance will get you to where you need to go with your gut health. That's another health message to everyone out there. Just keep persevering. Don't give up because you'll be right back where you are. Just keep going forward. Thank you so much for all that you do impacting the world. I'm so grateful that you came on our show and uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolute honor. Thank you for having me. All right. And everyone else, we will see you next week. Hey, Primal Blueprint listeners, no dairy in your life? No problem. Primal Kitchen has you covered because our no-dairy vodka sauce is made with avocado oil and organic cashew butter so you can ditch the dairy and keep the decadent taste you love. Made without gluten, soy, canola oil, or artificial ingredients, this vegan plant-based sauce is paleo certified. Visit us at primalkitchen.com for more real food options from dairy-free Alfredo sauce to tomato basil marinara and a whole host of other delicious products the entire family will love. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the primal path and want to help others live primally too, then visit primalhealthcoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit primalhealthcoach.com today to learn more.